Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Sincerely Jada, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Jada Amoy. And if this is your very first episode, this podcast is dedicated to learning and unlearning. I hope you're enjoying season two thus far as much as I'm enjoying recording. I'm actually in the process of recording four episodes in one week, which is the most I've ever done. Yeah, I've been really trying to crank out those episodes and keep the inspiration flowing. So love to hear you interact with the podcast, love to hear what you think. And I really do enjoy when you head over to the podcast Instagram, which I've been plugging basically since the beginning of the season. Love when you head over there and share some of the perspectives that you have on the topic and your personal experiences as well. Today's episode is all about adulting, especially with the rising cost of living. Have you seen the prices at the grocery store? Let's talk about it. So with that in mind, adulting has become a really overwhelming experience for a lot of us. We don't always necessarily have the tools to deal with the anxiety and fears that come with that transition to adulthood. So today's episode actually features a accredited counselor to give us a lot of her perspective when it comes to what she sees in her experience dealing with individuals experiencing mental health issues. So I'm really excited to have her perspective on the podcast. So with that being said, today's episode will touch on some of those tips for people who are coping with anxiety and worry. A lot of us find ourselves in a constant state of worrying about the future, worrying where the rent money is coming from, deciding whether we're going to go back to school or not, or just general worry that comes with being an adult. Olivia is here to give us some tips with anxiety and worry from her experience. We're also going to talk about that loss of innocence that you experience when you transition into being an adult. That's kind of an outline of what we'll be discussing in today's episode. Now, let me introduce our guest. So Olivia Holtman is actually joining us all the way from UK. So Olivia Holtman has over 14 years of experience supporting people to successfully create and achieve their visions. She helps people manifest their dreams. So Olivia originally came from a finance background and her interest, passion, and a spiritual calling made Olivia strive hard to re-educate herself and qualify as an accredited interrogative counselor. She also has her own private practice that she puts these skills into for the betterment of her clients. So Olivia is currently based in London, UK. Some of Olivia's main passions are creating intergenerational wealth, and she also likes to give back to her community through volunteer work that she's done in South Africa and in the community in London. So thank you so much for joining me, Olivia. I'm super excited to pick your brain and be able to have a conversation given your background as a counselor. You know, you originally worked in finance in the banking industry and you ended up kind of in a space where you're now supporting people with their mental health. So can you tell us a bit more about that career pivot? Because a lot of us are in that space where we're realizing that where we ended up or where we studied to get isn't necessarily the place that's fulfilling us. So maybe you can share a bit about that transition from finance to counseling and how that really was for you and how that came about. I'm starting to work in finance, as you said, when I was younger and I didn't mind doing it, but I wasn't really passionate about it. I was going with the flow. I just fell into it because I was following the crowd. Everyone was doing it. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do it as well. I went into finance and then at some point I was like, well, it doesn't really excite me that much. I don't want to really do it, but at the same time, I didn't know what to do. So I... At that time, I was married and my husband was like, well, I don't understand what you're talking about because I was trying to explain to him what, you know, when I was going through, I moved to London at that time. Again, because I already came from London at that time, to be honest, I moved to London. 
because I was basically searching for something, but I didn't realize what I was searching for. I was just sort of lost. I was like in my 20s at the time, like mid-20s basically at the time. Went into a depression, didn't understand what was going on for me. My marriage went through a divorce and I still didn't know what I wanted to do and I moved back to London. So from Amsterdam, I went to Ireland and then, sorry, from Amsterdam, I went to London, from London, I went to Ireland and then I went back to London again after I just needed time for myself. I really needed to sort of time for myself and to figure out what was going on and how I wanted to move on in my life without anyone sort of pressuring me to sort of say, oh, you're, you're totally fine. Because it can be quite a lot that you don't feel well, but then people say, but you have everything, you should feel good. So I went through this transition of feeling very depressed. I at some point felt that someone was like chase, not chasing me, but someone was following me, something like that. Getting very paranoid, I guess, as well. Paranoid, very low. I was just crying. And for me, it was a shock because I only saw it in movies that people were depressed. I didn't know anyone around me that was depressed in my community. And it wasn't like nowadays, you can hear a lot on the social media, people talk about it, even though it's not even spoken about in that depth, to be honest. So I went through this transition of, you know, a few years, actually, probably, or I would say around three years of depression. When I came out of it, that's how I fell into counseling, because what I realized when I was going through that transition is that I was, I was searching for something on the internet and I came into personal development in counseling. Funny enough, when I was younger, I didn't know I could develop myself. I couldn't know that I could have a voice. I didn't know that my voice would be listened to. I just thought this is just me. I was very shy, introvert, and wasn't speaking up. So when I realized that, that's how I started to become very passionate about self-development. Because I realized, wow, I can actually change. I had control of my life again. That's how it felt, basically. I went into counseling, first doing a course, like a, a, a sort of skills course to see if I liked it for 13 weeks. And then I saw, okay, this is something I would like to do. And then I did the, you know, the proper qualification. So that was my transition of going into counseling, going through my own journey of depression, which I didn't realize that I was going through at that time. And I think I was hiding it very well as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for noting that. So what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions about mental health that you typically see in society? That is one of the things. When we say mental health, everyone has a mental health. But then when we have poor mental health, that's when the issues come in. You know, mental health issues or mental health challenges or mental health problems. So the wording that we use, the people in general use, is not even correct when we say, oh, he or she has mental health. And I'm like, yeah, but everyone has mental health. You have to be more specific specific of explaining what it is so we think that it's better understood but it's still not really understood fully to be honest and there is still a big stigma around it so now people know more about it but people still feel that you have to be crazy to go to a counselor some people think that it can only happen to specific kind of people some people think that when you have mental health challenges it has to be something that has very big so you know in a big accident or child abuse, all of those big things that people can understand. But little things can also affect our mental well-being, which we sometimes don't fully understand. So I think the misconception is one of the big ones is that it has to be something big. Only then you have mental health issues or problems, which is not true. Could be small things that actually can create mental health issues over a period of time. 
And I think that's part why some people cannot um, find it difficult to accept with their mental health issues because, oh, nothing really happened to me in my life. But when you start exploring it, then you can see, okay, this happened, this happened, and this is how you took it in. And that's the reason why I feel anxious right now or depressed right now or not wanted right now. You can walk on the road and an accident happens and you can see it. It didn't happen to you, but you can be traumatized by that, for example. In terms with what you were saying about people often think that you have to go through this big negative experience to have mental health issues. You can also have conversations with people, whether it be your parents, your friends, etc., and they say, oh, well, you have it all. You should be grateful. So what do you have to be depressed about? And it creates a lot of stigma. Like you said, that only certain people should be sharing these experiences, people who may have had it harder. But people don't realize that maybe people did have those negative experiences, but it could be things that you just kind of suppress or you're not talking about. Right. So that can be a pretty harmful thing. Your own experience is your own journey. You react to it, how you react to it. And there's no wrong or right. That's something that you learn while you work on yourself to realize that like what they go through is what they go through. Comparing is no point because every single person will react differently to the same scenario. Yeah, thank you. So the main kind of premise of this episode is discussing adulting because, of course, it can be a very difficult experience where you're not really understanding how to navigate certain issues. And there's not always a direct place where people can go to talk about how they're feeling when it comes to that kind of loss of innocence and transition into adulthood, especially since what you'll likely hear if you open up about maybe mental health challenges during this period is that you need to own up to your responsibilities, you need to grow up, etc. One thing I think that isn't necessarily talked about as much is the sadness that can come with transitioning into adulthood. You know, you might have more freedom, more access to money, et cetera, all these great things, but you also lose that kind of safety net that your parents represented for you. So that can be a really difficult thing. As we know, even me, I've found that that experience of realizing I'm no longer a child. I have these certain things I need to accomplish and nobody's going to come and help me is a really hard thing to accept. So why do you think it's so hard to come to terms with the transition phases and change that comes with growing older? I think one of the things is that there is almost no rites of passage anymore. And some cultures still do that. So the rites of passage is that when you transition from a baby into, you know, a child, into youngster, into adulthood, into young adult, you know, some cultures have a rites of passage where they prepare children for that. Like no one can actually prepare you fully for that, obviously. But I think the sadness comes from not knowing what to expect when you live at home and your journey in general. No, you don't have to think about certain things. So now when you go into your young adulthood and you live by yourself and you have to fend for yourself, then sometimes you might think that you don't have enough skills. And it's the expectation. That is one expectation from society, the expectation from your family or parents. And then how you then take on that expectation, because it can be, it is quite a lot and it can be quite daunting to be going from one day to the other. Oh, I'm moving out by myself and now I have to do all of these things that I didn't learn to sort of go to the next step. It's also, as a young person, what you think adult means, the practical things we will understand. No, when you live by yourself, you have to pay the bills, you know, but what else is adulthood? Is it just paying the bills? Is it more freedom that you have? Some people feel like, oh, when you're adult, you have more freedom than when you're a child. But is it really more freedom or is it more stress that you put on ourselves? So I think that 
I think the sadness comes from letting go of maybe the sense of that someone was taking care of you, if that's the case. You know, like there is no one there maybe to nurture you in the same way. How do we see adulthood? Can we see adulthood maybe as something more exciting? Because sometimes when you're younger, you might think, oh, if you get an adult, you get older, it gets bored, you don't do anything, and then you die. It can feel that adulthood doesn't have anything to offer. So the sadness can definitely come from letting go of maybe the excitement that you don't think you're going to have, and you're only going to have responsibility. You're only going to have expectations of yourself. There's going to be more pressure. But there is so much more to adulthood that is quite exciting that maybe young people are not aware of because of the pressures that uh, the society puts on them or the pressure that parents or school puts on young people. Where are the adults around that actually can show, well, actually, it might not be a hard thing to be an adult. It might be a nice thing to be an adult or you know you have the skills to sort of deal with the responsibilities as well. So I think a lot of pressure from for young people is probably the perception that they have it's supposed to look like because you know especially now i'm sure that where you are there's also a crisis in regards of economy where the prices of you know goods and food and you might have a lot of adults who just complain oh life is hard life is this life is that everything is expensive so if you a child and you just don't have to think about those things and now you're turning to an adult it will be sad to leave that behind because now you're gonna go into that zone where adults complain about, you don't want to go there. Why would you want to go there? I also really like what you began saying at the beginning of there's no sort of rite of passage for a lot of people, which I find that there's this kind of attitude that I guess we, I, my generation always had growing up that once you turn 18, you're an adult. And 18, to me, looking back at it should be that rite of passage, like between 18 and maybe 21, where you're learning you're not doing it yet, but your parents are teaching you the skills, that sort of rite of passage where you can begin learning. But I feel like Mm -hmm. what's happening now is people, whether it be through parental pressure or, you know, some people grow up in their environments where they just can't wait to move out or they can't wait to have more responsibility and independence because of whatever circumstances. So there's not a transition period where they're learning the skills. They're Mm -hmm. just having to learn once they're already in it. Yeah. And that can be quite scary, isn't it? To sort of go to this new, even though it's a sense of freedom, because depending on what where you're coming from, but at the same time, what do you do when it goes wrong? And going wrong is not even bad, because going wrong is actually helping you to create more skills. But obviously, and I think for young people now, at, this pre- at the present time, I think there is sort of more pressure in the sense of there is so much information available that young people are getting fed information before their time to say it like that so logically you might know what to say but you might not specifically understand it fully or you might not specifically know how to do it fully but you know how to say it because there's so much information so in that way it's also maybe a pressure of like well i have to pretend i know even though i don't know or the confusion maybe of well, I know what to say, but I just don't feel that. How do I do that? And then feeling that you have to pretend to be a specific way, even though you don't feel like that. And I think with mental health, that could be part of it as well. Even though people speak more definitely about mental health, but at the same time, it can be easily hidden behind smart words. Young people are very smart. They know what to say, you know, because of the pressures of social media and information that has been given 
But to understand it, sometimes you have to live it. Yeah. So you had been discussing some of the challenges, especially associated with social media. So how that can present information to young people where they're, you know, getting the information and they feel as though they're learning and it creates kind of this false sense of knowing everything. What do you think are some of the other maybe unique challenges that come with being a young adult at this point in time? I know young people that have their phone in their ear, have their friends in the ear all of the time. No matter what they do, they're on this, you know, FaceTime. And that is like, you don't have time for yourself. So I think that is very unique for young people. I think now nowadays where there's always someone's watching. And I think then, how can I say it in a, in a simple way? Freedom of speech in a sense of there doesn't seem to be a balance, I feel, between, because obviously back in the days, parents used to be stricter. And the way that they were strict wasn't always nice, isn't it? So now everything is changing because back in the days, if you don't listen, you get a smack in the, on your backside, for example. Now, obviously, you can't do that. Back in the days, there was no law to say you can't do that. So now there is this space where giving young people or children the freedom, but not having the balance of that. If you as a young person have the freedom to do, which is not a bad thing, but if there is no balance to that, then that can be sometimes be, you know, a little bit confusing sometimes, I think, if there is no range or no balance uh, in a sense. And I think as well that caring what people think is probably a little bit more now, but it's also linked to social media. Caring too much what, what others think about you the expectations of others, feeling to attached to not being able to leave your phone for an hour. You know, those things sound like little things, but on the long term, I think if you feel that you always have to be available, you always have to respond immediately, but it can create an anxiety that you always have to be available. Or if you don't reply within an hour, then, you know, people start to complain or your friends start to complain. So I would say those are the things that I would say for young people is more unique than when you think of previous generations. Yeah, so thanks for sharing that. Speaking of which, as you said, there's a lot of that fancy language, smart words that go around in this kind of day and age, especially through social media as well. So I've, of course, heard this phrase of keeping your inner child alive. I'm not really sure how to actually put this into practice. And people don't often go in depth as to what this actually means aside from maybe eating your childhood favorite ice cream or going to the favorite places that you visited when you were a kid. What does this really mean in your opinion? And do you think it's possible to actually keep your inner child alive while also being a responsible adult? So your inner child is always going to be alive because it's really you, if you know what I mean. When you turn into an adult, your inner child is really your child self. And we all sometimes react from our child self because sometimes... Someone might say something and you might react more from your child mode instead of your adult self. So as a child, you might have gone to certain things in life that were very traumatic or overwhelming or not nice. If you're not aware of that, if you're not connected to your inner child, then those things will still affect you as an adult. So you still might might say, oh, I can't come, can't come to the party anymore. And you might step because as a child, you were maybe neglected or you felt that you were not good enough. To connect to your inner child is very important. To understand, keep your inner child alive for me means understanding your childhood, understanding how your childhood, because everything that we are right now is basically based on the past. Like literally everything is based on the way that we think, for example, at the moment is most likely not even us. How we've been raised, what society tells us, you know, we just really 
replicating what they tell us to think, to be honest, in general. So it's really understanding your childhood and how you can tune into the nice things of your childhood, but also understanding part of your childhood that maybe is still affecting you. And that's the inner child, the inner child that maybe is not happy, that you're still feeling, for example. So keeping your inner child alive means different things, but it's good to sort of go back to that child that, for example, was very happy and very nice and really tuning into that and keeping that alive because it helps you to move forward as well at the same time because, you know, it reminds you of the good things in life and it might also remind you of the bad things in life. But for me, I don't really think about things in good and bad. To be honest with me, it's just, no, it's experience in life. We go to experience in life. But I think for the inner child, you have to be very connected to it to understand how you can move forward with it because it's always going to be there. Yeah, I really like that you note the importance of engaging with your inner child, acknowledge the different things that occurred in your childhood and what might still be affecting you. But also the aspect of still having fun. So I think that a lot of us, you touched on it earlier, feel like as an adult, you're supposed to be money, 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 work, work, work. You're not supposed to be spending any time to yourself or you can often feel really guilty or like a slacker if you're not focused on your future at every given moment, but also engaging in the things that you like to do as a child. I really like that you mentioned that. So, you know, you played soccer as a child. You haven't been playing soccer, but it's something that really brought you joy. So uh, integrating that into your life as opposed to just making your life structured around uh, your future, because of course, being responsible is important, but we can't be perfect, responsible people all the time. Don't take life too serious. As you were saying before, yeah, the prices are very high in, obviously, in the supermarkets and stuff like that. Obviously, some people obviously really, really struggle to buy groceries and stuff like that. So, you know, but it's looking for the stuff that you can be grateful for and using that to move forward. If you go on holiday to a country, usually where it's sunny, what they want to call third world countries, you see the happiest people there, but they have half of what we are having. Well, where is this coming from? Where do they get their happiness from? And it's finding ways to look at, okay, what can I be grateful for? What do I have that is actually really good in my life? It takes time to sort of build that, to build that up for yourself, to sort of be able to sort of see that grateful part of it. Yeah, I that really made me think of the fact that we often lose that childlike optimism, basically. It's associated with children because, you know, they don't have any responsibilities or worries. But at the same time, I think that would really benefit a lot of us. You know, sometimes even me, I find that I get in certain situations and it won't even be that serious, but I'll just feel like nothing is going to be right again in the world. But it's like having that optimism of saying, okay, well, maybe that could go that way, but it could also go like this. But I think a lot of us through the stress and the pressures have lost that optimism and that positivity. Yeah, exactly that. And for children, anything is possible. They don't have restrictions. Those restrictions only come, you know, when they get older. That's how I was saying, if you really start thinking about it, where is it coming from? What? Why is my opinion the way that it is? It's based on what I've been fed in school and society. It's not, you know, it's based on what people told me. But children, they think anything is possible because anything is possible, but it's letting go of that the restrictions and the boundaries that we sort of created while we are getting into adulthood, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. So I think for the latter part of the episode, I'd really like to touch on more of your experience with mental health and specific tips that people who are listening and 
realizing that they might be struggling with anxiety and worry, especially associated with their futures. What do you think are some of the signs that might suggest that somebody is experiencing anxiety or depression? What are the signs? So anxiety is usually quite physical. So, you know, your heart might be beating quicker sometimes, but, you know, you can feel restless, you can feel nervous, you feel that, you know, that that your stomach has like a big stone inside of you, or you might be sweating, you might be trembling, shivering, or you feel weak or tired a lot. And the nervousness, usually a lot of people can really relate to feeling nervous, something is going to happen, something is going to happen. And they get almost panicky to the point, especially when the worry comes in. Because when the worry comes in, it's like, what if, what if, what if? And you can go into a spiral of negative thoughts, always thinking negative that will create you being nervous and anxious as well. So it's really starting to notice the shifts in how you feel. Some people don't want to leave the house. They don't want to engage too much with people. And then you can go into that depression where some people say, oh, I'm depressed today, but well, are you just a low mood or are you depressed? Depression is not just one day. So when you, for example, start to see a shift in someone, let's say you have a friend that's normally very bubbly, very like they're very like, you know, engaged and they start to sort of withdraw themselves. They don't want to leave the house anymore. Then you'll start noticing, okay, something is shifting with this person. What is going on? So some people don't want to get out of the bed for, for days and weeks. Some people don't want to take a shower because it's just too much effort. Even brushing your teeth is too much effort. You know, you want to close the curtains and just don't want to be around people. Your mood, mood swings go up and down as well. So when you start noticing a shift in someone's behavior, so from the outside in, that's where you can sort of be like, oh, this person, no, they're more steppy right now or they're very quiet right now or they're not coming out anymore. Or not really engaging the same way anymore. That's when you can sort of maybe start to ask questions like, are you okay? Do you need any support? What's going on? Some people want to talk. Some people don't want to talk. But at least if you reach out, you know, you put it on the table. You, you put it out there that you notice that there is a difference. And then it's up to them, obviously, if they want to, yeah, tell you, not tell you. Everyone is very different. It's just saying what you notice. Some people don't want any specific advice. Some people don't like it when you trying to help them as well. So it's maybe asking them what is it that you need instead of sometimes saying, try this, try this, try this, try this, because that can be quite overwhelming sometimes, especially when people are depressed. So the depression is more long-term. So when people go into a depression, usually they don't want to leave the house, don't want to meet people. They're just in their own bubble and their mood is very low. They feel sad. They feel sometimes lonely. They feel, what's the point of living? know when you're in a longer depression that you will have thoughts of oh what's the point of living as well so it's looking for if you look at yourself you know the shift in your mood on how you feel the nervousness the worries you could start to maybe monitor when you get anxious because there might be a pattern it might be a specific time of the day it might be when you're in a specific environment it might be when you worry so it's good to sort of monitor okay let me start writing down every day when I get anxious. And when you start writing that down and monitor your anxiety, because then you will get a better understanding what is going on for you. And then when you find that pattern, let's say you will notice, oh, every day when I have to go to this meeting, 
are still anxious that you know, okay, it's to do with a meeting. So at least you have a focus point of, okay, what can I put in place before I go to this meeting? And then, I mean, if you know what your anxiety is about, then it's easier to tackle because you can put something in place. But then you have some people that just wake up and feel anxious and they don't know what, what it's about. And then you go back to the inner child world because then that might be linked to something that happened in your life, but hasn't been processed. Just like what I was saying about myself. I said like, well, I was fine, but all of this stuff was happening to me. I didn't understand. But I was linked to my past, which I never been thought about that it would affect me. Or I didn't know that it would come out like that. So sometimes people might wake up and feel anxious and don't understand, have a clue where it's coming from. And then with that, you can obviously find support, you know, find a counselor or found even speak to someone that you really trust if you don't want to go to a counselor or a therapist and sort of explore a little bit more of where you first notice that anxiety and then you start monitoring it. If you have future worries, it's you're worrying about something that doesn't exist. So it's asking yourself, okay, is the worry that I have real? Is what I'm worrying about something that I know is actually going to happen? Most of the time, we don't know if it's going to happen. So it's asking yourself specific questions in regards, okay, what is the worry about? How is this worry helping me moving forward or is it creating me more anxiety? What can I think instead of being worried? So looking for something that is more inspiring or something that actually can help you to sort of feel more uplifted that there is a chance for it to, do, to be in a different way. Because a lot of times we live in the past and we live in the future. The past is something that you cannot do anything about anymore. The only thing you can do is go back, reflect and learn from it and use it to something to move forward. And then if you worry about the future, again, it's something that actually didn't happen. And the reality is that it's going to sound strange, but the future and the past is now. The only time that you have is right now. What you do right now is going to impact what's happening, happening in the next minute, literally. You know, so worrying about something that is not happening and might not even happen. What is the proof of this worry that this is going to happen? And most of the time, you don't have proof that it actually is going to happen. It might, but you don't know if it is. So why do, why do you worry about it? What you can do is you can plan for, like, say, what I call the worst case scenario. Okay, if the worst case scenario happens, this is what I'm going to put in place. So you're making a plan for if maybe you know, the worst case scenario happens and then you put it on the shelf and then get about it because now you have a plan. So you don't have to think about the worst case scenario anymore. So there's different things that you can do with the worst of the futures and anxiety. And then you also have other stuff that you can do on a daily basis. So you can do breathing exercises, you know, the, what they call nowadays the mindfulness stuff. So the breathing can help very much with anxiety. Meditation can help with anxiety as well but with the breathing for example it's understanding that what will change the reduction the, the the level of anxiety is the repetition and the consistency of you practicing it so sometimes people get anxious and that that's when they gotta be like okay i have to breathe now in the moment when i'm anxious your body doesn't even know what what you're doing in that moment so what you need to do is do a breathing exercise, for example, every day for a few minutes, even if you do it four minutes every single day, and you train your body 
to feel grounded and balanced. So when you get anxious and you do the exercise, it brings your emotions down very, very quickly and very calmly once your body understands what you're doing. And breathing is just is just good in general. We breathe every day, but we don't usually breathe the right way. You know, we usually only babies breathe the right way in general. When you see the baby breathing, you can see the stomach going up and down, up and down, because they just breathe like that naturally. But because we're already adults, you know, with all of the stresses in life, we just, we don't breathe right. And the oxygen doesn't go all the way to your head, to your brain, sorry, not your head, your brain. So therefore, we can't think straight. So when you take time every single day to breathe and let the oxygen goes into your body, every single day you give time to yourself to sort of, you know, breathe, ground, and uh, recover what needs to recover in your body after a hectic day as well. So those are the, the mindfulness stuff that you can do. You can do journaling as well. You can journal about your anxiety, write down what comes out of your pen, out of your wrist without thinking when you're, when you're anxious as well. You can join groups, you can join forums, you can join workshops, you know, or you ask for support, professional support to help you with that as well. So I will include, you know, any links to any recommendations that you shared throughout the podcast in the episode notes. But thank you so much for those tips. I definitely will be applying them when I get anxious. And I like that you also noted writing down and tracking what the worries are, and then also reminding yourself and even thinking, are you sure this thing is going to happen? Or is it you may be overthinking or assuming the worst? Sometimes it can be really difficult to separate those thoughts, whether, okay, is this an immediate concern? Is this a future concern? Is this something that I know for sure? Like, you know, my boss called me into the office and I'm assuming, okay, I'm getting fired. But it's like, do you know that for sure? Are you just assuming? Is it possible you could even be getting a promotion? Maybe not in every case, but you never know. So where those worries are coming from and also anxiety. And I really like those tips and information that you gave us because I feel like a lot of people hear those terms, anxiety, and and feel as though, oh, that's not something I experience. I have to actually be someone who suffers from, we hear that suffers from anxiety or that you think that you have to be diagnosed, but it's like, A lot of people and most people have moments that they're anxious. It doesn't mean that you have anxiety, but you can acknowledge that you feel anxious without having to diagnose yourself. You know, I have no right to use that word because I don't have anxiety, but that causes us a lot of times to neglect our feelings. Yeah, it's a very good point. The one thing that I want to add as well is that when you have those thoughts, it's maybe for yourself writing down one or two sentences that you can say instead. So if you know, for example, oh, if my boss is calling me into work and it happens maybe a few times, you can say to yourself, okay, what can I say to myself instead of thinking that I'm going to be fired and have a specific sentence that you say to yourself as soon as that thought comes in? Because the brain is neuroplastic. You can train it to start thinking differently, but it has to happen with repetition and consistency. So you have to put the work in to work on yourself. And that's something that people are not willing to do with intention to sort of say, okay, as soon as this thought comes in, I'm going to say this instead. And as soon as it's come, I'm saying it again. So you will train your brain that at some point it will understand, I don't have to think this anymore because, you know, Jada is telling me this all of the time. So let me just start thinking that because that's the brain is literally will tell you what you can tell your brain what to do, but you have to train it with that. So find out the one sentence or two sentences that you can say to yourself as soon as a negative thought comes in for yourself. 
thank you for leaving us off with that tip. I think that oftentimes we think of, you know, kind of picking ourselves up from these places as such a difficult task. And it can seem really inaccessible, especially for people who don't have the funds for a therapist or something like that. But you gave us some really good tips that we can use in the moment and apply ourselves. When it comes to what we discussed earlier, so a lot of us have this idea of adulthood as being inherently miserable, as a never-ending <laughs> suffering experience, which is really negative. So how do you think we can go about shifting our mindset to challenge the idea that being an adult can't be a positive experience? Well, I would start with with a few things. So because if you if you don't have the example, then sometimes it can be difficult to know that it exists, that adulthood can be fun. So sometimes it's about just checking to see which adults are around me and what influence do they have on me in regards of how I view adulthood. So it's really surrounding yourself with adults that are positive or can support you or actually have a nice life or actually enjoy life or actually tune into the childhood and don't take life that serious, but they are serious, if you know what I mean, at the same time. So it doesn't mean that you have to be irresponsible, but you can actually have a lot of fun. So it's about maybe finding adults around you that actually have that kind of spirit or energy that is uplifting for you. Because that will start for you to see that, well, it is possible that adults can have fun with the mindset. It's knowing that, you know, the right time is now. The right time is now to shift yourself and sort of starting to believe in yourself, but also in your own life at the same time, because no one is going to do it for you. And you only can do it now. You can't do it in the future. You can't do it in the past. You only can do it now. So it's maybe shifting your mindset as you like, well, I'm going to believe now that it's possible for me and using the same tactic of repetition and consistency. You can speak to so many different people, but you're still going to have to do the work. I can say so much. But if you still choose not to believe it, you're not going to believe it. So you're going to have to make a commitment to yourself and say to yourself, well, from today on, this is how, how I'm going to think. And I'm, I'm saying it's very simple, knowing that it's challenging. But when you go to work, you sign the contract and you're going to be at work on time. You got to, you know, you have a job spec, you do exactly what's on the job. And there's most likely no thought in your mind not to do it. Yeah, so because you make a commitment, you made an agreement, do the same thing to yourself. Because why do it for someone else and get up every single day and be there on time and do whatever they want you to do and not doing it for yourself? So it's really, it's self-work if to work on yourself. Even as a young person, you can do that work. It's even better to do it when you're younger because when you're older, then you don't have to go back and <laughs> do loads of stuff anymore because you've already done the work. So it's amazing when you do it when you're young. That's why... I do like to work with young people because it's like, yes, save so much time when you're like 50 or 40 or even 25, you know? So make a commitment to yourself to say, well, from now on, nothing is, what is going to stop me to move forward? It's you. And the only time that I have is right now to shift that around. So why should I choose to lean into being worried than thinking that there is another way? Monitor the thoughts that make you feel anxious or make you stop from moving forward and Write them down and then write down what you can say and set to yourself because only I can change that regardless of what, I, what happened in my life. When I work with my coaching business, it's a lot of mindset, a lot of shifting limited beliefs and believing in yourself and working on yourself in order to move forward and remove those blockages that we have for ourselves. 
also I think holding yourself accountable as well as you noted a lot of it is rooted in accountability so it's like at this job and you're not happy and you're telling yourself every day that your life can't get better are you doing things to make your life better are you looking at new jobs are you really putting in any sort of work to actually make change like you said it's easier said than done sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you're just so down that you don't have the energy to even make any real life changes even if it's the simplest things telling yourself and challenging those negative thoughts as they come in can give you maybe more energy to do the things that you need to do and show up for yourself yeah i was in the interview the other day and they did ask me how did you shift from that to that i think i was talking about changing my career or something like that and i said the one thing that was the trigger is that i said to myself enough is enough and i literally in a different way made a commitment to myself like enough is enough i'm not doing it anymore by me saying that to myself i took that action because action is needed. You can't just wish you what you think and believe, you know, it doesn't work like that. You have to take action. And for me, that shift was when I made a commitment that I'm going to shift my career, that's when I actually took my career. And it was very challenging, but I had in my mind, this is what I'm going to do. And I had a tough time, but I also enjoyed it because when I think back now, I also enjoyed it at the same time. Not because you make a commitment that has to be hard, not because you make a commitment that has to be something that you know, it's always going to be difficult or boring. No, the commitment just means that you choose for you. And that's what I did. I chose for me this time and I just believed in it. And that's the thing that will shift your whole energy to sort of actually do that. I love that advice. I think a lot of people who are maybe considering a career pivot or at some sort of, I guess, crossroads is the word that comes to mind, but some sort of stall in their life where they're looking to make the decision, I think, you know, choosing yourself and making a commitment is definitely great advice. I always invite the guests to leave us with any last minute recommendations or final recommendations they have for people who maybe are experiencing these sort of mental health issues or just, you know, at a low point where they're looking for change. And then also, if you could tie that into a quote that either means a lot to you or you just really want people to be aware of. So reach out. It's not always easy, but know that you're not the only one. Sometimes people are very ashamed. There is a stigma, but there is more people than you think that go through the same things that also don't speak up. So you speaking up is an example for someone else who's maybe also scared to speak up as well. And knowing that, you know, your mental health challenges are not going to stay like that. It only will stay like that longer if you don't do anything. So reach out to someone. It doesn't have to be professional specifically if that's not available. Reach out to a friend or to a group or to a forum. There's so many different ways nowadays that you can reach out to people. Some people don't mind speaking to their family, but some people are like, no, not my friends, not my family. Then you go to maybe a group where you don't know anyone and find tips and advice there. There's always ways around where you can find someone or people that go to similar stuff. We're definitely not alone. That's one great tip that I wanted to give. Like, you're not alone. Especially with the society nowadays, there's a lot of people going through mental health issues on different levels, and it's okay. But acknowledge it. You know, find a way to acknowledge that this is what's going on for you. Don't try to ignore it because it's only going to be long. So I would say that is probably one of the main tips of mental health challenges to sort of really reach out. And if one person lets you down, that is that one person. You can go to the next or find another way. Don't give up on yourself. 
One of our favorite statements is, I already said it before, to be honest, is the only time is now. Don't say, oh, I'll wait until I have money. I don't have time. Those are all excuses. The time is right now, right here. That's the only time you can make a change to your life, not tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. It never, doesn't even exist because you always exist in the present and it's never going to be tomorrow. So I would say my favorite statement is the only time is now. There's nothing to wait for. Yeah, that's a great ending point for this episode in terms of the time is now. It doesn't mean you have to change everything in one day, but even the smallest change is a starting point, right? So I like that you noted that. So I really appreciate having you on the episode on Sincerely Jada. Thank you for being on my podcast. It was a pleasure to speak to you and get your experiences. I really enjoyed our talk and I hope that it's very helpful for your listeners. So, and I really appreciate you take the time to do this for young people because you don't hear a lot of spaces specifically, you know, that speak about these kind of things for young people. So well done. And thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. So with that being said, you can check the episode notes to, you know, see Olivia's information, whether you want to take a look at what resources she has available or learn more about her practice as well. Thank you so much for constantly listening and supporting the podcast. You know, although I appreciate the support thus far, I will say that I always appreciate when you go ahead to whatever platform you're listening, whether it be Apple Music, Spotify, etc., to leave a review as well as follow the podcast. It's super helpful to leave a review so that everyone else knows that this is a podcast that is worth listening to. And when you listen to an episode and it kind of resonates with you and you feel like there are key messages that you took from it, why not share it? Why not post it on your social media? Why not send it to your bestie, your man, whoever? Because you benefited from the information. You found it helpful. So, of course, there has to be someone in your contact list who you think would resonate with the information as well. Because if you don't, then that is kind of gatekeeping if you think about it, because we got to put our friends on. As always, go and follow the podcast Instagram. You can find my link tree in the podcast episode notes. So, yeah, thanks for all your support. Until next time, sincerely, Jada. 